This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture, and we are um, talking today with Richard Hornock, uh, who is a pastor in Texarkana, Texas, but his story goes back further than that. He's part of a family that has ministered uh, to Mormons uh, for, what, two generations, three generations? Two generations. Okay. Yeah, started in 1953. All right. And uh, on our topic, as part of our World Religion Series, we're talking about uh, Mormonism today. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And and uh, I, I actually went to seminary uh, with uh, Richard's brother, so this, so this is kind of fun for me to be able to do this. Uh, Richard, talk a little bit about uh, how you're family got involved with uh, being associated with Mormons and sure. and just run us through your family tree on this. Okay. We uh, Well, my father uh, was one of those Navy uh, World War II guys, uh, got saved a couple years after he had been at Pearl Harbor. He actually was at Pearl Harbor the day the war broke out. Oh, wow. And uh, in 1943, uh, got saved mm-hmm. and then got discipled by the Navigators. And so when he got out of the... Uh, uh, service decided uh, that God was calling him to ministry. By hmm. that time, he had married my uh, my mother, and uh, so they went to Moody Bible Institute and graduated in uh, '50. And then he became a, a pastor there hmm. in the Chicago area. Uh, my oldest brother was having health issues, hmm. and uh, the doctor said you've got to move him to a drier climate, you know, hmm. someplace like Denver or Phoenix or Salt Lake City. Uh-huh. And uh, just providentially, around the same time, my dad had been at a pastors' conference there in the Chicago area, and he had heard some uh, speaker talk about Mormonism hmm. and how there was just actually no evangelical witness there, mm-hmm. or very little evangelical witness at the time. And it was just one of those things that really resonated with my uh, dad and my mom, and uh, they had a passion for evangelism. And uh, you know, between uh, my brother's health issues and God laying that upon their heart, it's like that's how God led them. So uh, he resigned the church in '53 and went out there, basically just kind of a tent making type ministry, and was involved in church planting for really the rest of his life. Hmm. Uh, they had uh, six kids. I'm the youngest of those six, five hmm. sons, a daughter, and uh, all of us ended up going into ministry. All the boys came to Dallas Seminary. My sister married a guy that had come to Dallas Seminary, so oh, all wow. six of us graduated <laughs> from the seminary. And uh, three. We appreciate you keeping the seminary going in well, the 70s. We... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, there must be why uh, something's in the water there. I don't know. But anyway, then uh, uh, three of the sons ended up back in the Salt Lake area. Hmm. And, uh, you know, one, one, the oldest brother actually went back and took over the first church my dad started, hmm. and uh, while well, he went off and started other churches. You know, Salt Lake's a big city, yeah, sure. big valley. And uh, then uh, another brother 
went and started a church uh, that was there. And then one of my uh, my brother Doug uh, just recently, about five years ago, went back and took over one of the churches too. So uh, now there's three of them in the valley and. Uh, so we've just had, you know, growing up in Salt Lake, you can't help but learn about Mormonism. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, all my friends were Mormons, but the best, my best friend was a guy named Ned, lived right across the street. I don't ever remember not knowing Ned. Ned's dad was the bishop. A bishop is a Mormon pastor. Mm-hmm. And uh, so people got a lot of kicks out of that, that the, the pastor's kid and the bishop's kid were best buddies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Ned's probably the strongest Mormon I know. Huh. I mean, uh, three biological kids, but he's adopted seven kids, which is a big part of Mormonism, you know, spreading mm-hmm. their gospel, you know, just through adoption, taking in kids and all that. Hmm. Well, fascinating. So let, let's talk a little bit about uh, about Mormonism. How do you, uh, you know, most people will think, well, it's some kind of an offshoot of Christianity uh, in doing my, my work for this podcast. It's very, very clear to me how if I can say this way, American-focused Mormonism is in some of its eschatology and that kind oh, of it thing. Is, yeah, and, and so that struck me in in reading about it. So let's talk a little bit about the relationship of Mormonism to Christianity. Uh, emerged in the in the 1820s to 1840s, basically. Right. Joseph Smith Jr., who was unhappy with his relationship to the to the church, right, and right. had a had a vision. I had a take. vision when he was uh, when he was 14 years old. The story is that uh, he's in he's in upstate New York, not uh-huh. far from Buffalo, a town okay. called Par- uh, Palmyra. And uh, when he's 14 years old, he's frustrated with all the churches in town. He'd seen all the bickering and fighting that was going on. And uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, during that time, I think they, church historians called it the Burned Over District. district yep. and, uh, and so he was a product of that. And uh, he goes out and he's reading in his Bible, James uh, 1 5. Hmm. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it. So hmm. he goes out in the woods. And he's praying, God, I don't know what to do. I really want to have a relationship with you. What do I do? And the story is that God the Father and Jesus Christ appear to him and tell him, don't join any church. Uh, I'm going to give you the revelation. Hmm. And so he comes out of the woods basically saying, everyone's wrong, and I'm going to have the answers. Hmm. And so from there, he... uh, you know, proceeds. Of course, people that study Mormonism, you know, uh, they'll say, "Well, then, you know, he went on to join a couple different churches, but whatever." But Mormons would say, "No, he stayed faithful to that." And then, over the course of you know the next fifteen, sixteen years, he had a series of other visions, mm-hmm. and one of those visions, uh, when by the time he was about thirty, was from a an angel named Moroni. Hmm whose father was Mormon, mm-hmm. and Mormon was a, uh, a prophet that had recorded the story of some Jews who had left Israel right before the Babylonian captivity. So we're in 600 B.C. or so. Yeah, yeah, sailed across the ocean, landed in Central America, and they were the other sheep that Jesus had that he referred to in John So 10. Christopher Columbus was not the first no, one to hit the no, continent. No. Some Jews did it, uh, what, 2,000 years earlier. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You know, and, and so they, they consequently, they would see a lot of uh, Native Americans that actually their uh, genetic roots go back to uh, Jews, Judaism, as opposed to uh, 
you know, uh, the Pacific Rim, like uh, most historians would. Interesting. Would so this results in yeah. in two groups of people. Uh, if I and I may mess up the technical terms here, but yeah. So is it is it the net? Neph, Nephites or something? The or Nephites, Nephites and oh, the, the Lamin Lamanites, and they're having a yeah. war and they're fighting over, you know, because they, they fell into corruption. Uh -huh. And then, of course, now all of this is fantasy, okay? Right, right. Uh, I can even talk with you about the theories as to where Joseph Smith got all this stuff. Okay. But uh, uh, they, they had, uh, you know, war within them and uh, they had departed from the truth. But on Saturday, after Jesus had been crucified on Friday, before he rose again on Sunday, on Saturday he spent in Central America straightening these people out and giving them the the true gospel and getting them right. And and uh, so instead of going south, he turned left. <laughs> he left I, guess, I guess. Yeah. And uh, so then, uh, uh, in about three or four hundred years. A.D., mm -hmm. several hundred years afterwards, Mormon recorded all these things on golden tablets, okay. and somehow, even though he was living in Central America, he buried them in upstate New York okay. on the Hill Cumorah. Uh -huh. And so when Joseph Smith had that one of his other visions, the vision he had from Moroni, an angel who had been the son of Mormon, Moroni was showing him where these golden tablets are, and Joseph translated them from Egyptian hieroglyphics, and that's the Book of Mormon. Okay. And that's the story, and Joseph got that in about 1830, and uh, the Book of Mormon you know, presents a theology. So he was about 20 years old when, when, this, when this happened. He was 14 when he had the first vision, and then between 14 and 30, he had lots of other visions. Okay. Um, and so the Book of Mormon is one of the scriptures that we talk that, right. that Mormons have. Right. There are a few other canonical-like sources right. for, for Mormonism right. as well, right? They have the Doctrine of Covenants, they have the Journal of Discourse, they have the Pearl of Great Price. and. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're just uh, the sermons of Joseph Smith, the sermons of the other prophets, basic teachings that have been added to the church through the years and, and stuff. So obviously there must have been a migration because the story starts in New York and we end up in Utah. Right. So right. so how did that work? Well, I mean, you know, from uh, a more objective perspective, I mean, Joseph Smith was, was a shyster. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole polygamy thing, which most people have heard about, I mean, he you know, he would marry these young women, and, uh, you know, people in that time you know, just were not going to tolerate it, so they kept getting driven out of places. They went to uh, Ohio, got driven out of Ohio, went to Illinois, got driven out of Illinois. Ultimately, in Illinois, finally, Joseph Smith was actually uh, murdered, or, you know, uh, he was put in jail, and then, you know, the stories vary, but he's trying to escape from jail, and... Mm -hmm. A mob ends up killing him, and so they viewed him as a martyr. Hmm. And that's when Brigham Young ultimately takes over the main branch, and then they migrate to uh, Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And that all happened in about uh, 1845. They ultimately went to Salt Lake in 1847. Okay. And this is long before Utah's a state, long before that part of the world is uh, settled. And their desire was to actually become their own nation. To become Zion, right? To become Zion. Yeah. And Joseph uh, Brigham Young's going to be the head of it, and uh, everything's going to be great. The only thing that happened was that was in 1847. Mm -hmm. In 1849, 
they discover gold in California, uh-huh. and so Utah becomes a traffic uh, pathway to get to the gold. Oh, and so wow. the U.S. government is not going to allow that territory in between to yeah. become its own nation. So eventually, you know, there's kind of a power struggle, but it takes about 50 years, and then ultimately all those states become states, and Utah became a state, I think, in about 1897. Now, another group ends, ends up in in Missouri. Springfield, in Missouri. In Springfield, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Actually, so, not Springfield, Missouri. I forget the name of okay, it. Okay. But in uh, – well, yeah. So they end up in Missouri, and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and so there are today – Three different kinds right. of Mormonism. Right. right. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. Well, after after Joseph Smith died, um, there was basically a power struggle: uh, who's going to be the next leader, who's going to be the next prophet, and it came down to uh, a, a choice between Brigham Young and a guy named Sidney Rigdon. And uh, Sidney Rigdon's actually kind of interesting because uh, his Many of his descendants, or several of his descendants, actually live in Texarkana. That's why I pay attention to him and his mm-hmm. story. But the choice was Brigham Young wanted to continue the practice of polygamy, mm-hmm. and Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith's first wife, because Joseph Smith ended up having like 49 wives, mm. uh, probably had more, but at least 49 that they've documented. And uh, there was basically a power struggle, and the choice was are we going to be polygamous or are we going to be? monogamous. And Sidney Rigdon and Emma, Joseph Smith's first wife, definitely did not want to be polygamous, Mm. but they lost the election. Mm. Brigham Young was a more charismatic, uh, dominant leader, and so the vast majority of people went with him. That's the group that went to Salt Lake. Sidney Rigdon, Emma, and a few other followers went to Missouri, and uh, they became the uh, reformed uh, or the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So that's now, RLDS. Uh, uh-huh. And now they've changed their name to, uh, what was it, the, Communi- Community, the Community of Christ. Christ. Yeah. 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 So you've got so, – and then there's a – and then the the other thing – well, The fundamentalists. The fundamentalists. The third group. Le, le, the, what ha, what's important to understand here is that Mormonism, because it has – a charismatic revelatory element to it yes. changes can change its doctrine on the fly, right? And right. and so that's happened in in two major ways. Uh, one dealing with polygamy in 1904, and another dealing with the role of blacks in the religion in right. 1978. Right. But when you get uh, the development of doctrine, you get some people who don't want to go anywhere. They right. were happy with the way right. it was. Right. Well, the, what happened was in the late 1800s, when Utah was being forced to be a state, mm-hmm. uh, they had to pass a law that said polygamy was illegal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the federal government was just going to require that. And, of course, you know, you can't have a church that is saying that's one of the key ways to get to heaven. And, uh, you know, with the vast majority of people being part of that church. And so there's kind of this power struggle for a while, but ultimately the prophet, and I forget the name of the prophet at that time, had a revelation that were uh, polygamy, this world is not capable of handling a doctrine so sweet as polygamy, uh-huh. so God's going to delay that, the practice of that. So it's not that they don't believe in it, it's just 
it's not for this time. It's not for this dispensation. And so they stopped practicing it, and then Utah became a state. And it's interesting that some of the, uh, the military bases in Utah were actually established by the federal government to make sure they really did enforce this anti-polygamy. Oh, wow. huh. And then, well, Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, other prophets had made statements that if, you know, this is like one of our key doctrines, if we ever depart from that, we've lost the gospel. Well, there were people that took uh, their prophet at face value. Their initial prophet. Their initial prophet, yeah. and Brigham Young, the other's prophets. And so they're like, hey, this place has gone liberal. Hmm. And so they've left, and they're what are called the fundamentalist Mormons. And so hmm. like Warren Jeffs and that group that are in uh, Colorado City, mm -hmm. uh, Arizona, Utah, it's right on the border there. And even the ones that are out here in El Dorado, uh, Texas, they're all part of the fundamentalist Mormons, and they do practice polygamy mm -hmm. because they said that's what Joseph said we are supposed to do. If, mm -hmm. if we ever stop doing it, we've lost the the truth. So we so we have three groups. We have a variety of scriptures. Let's talk a little bit about about the the core some of the core doctrines. Let's talk about the doctrine of God for a second. Um, uh, they'll refer to the Father, Son, and Spirit, but they don't mean the same thing. No. By no, in fact, that's one of the things, before I get to that, Mormons, particularly in the last couple decades, they use our language. They, they use all of our terms, uh, biblical terms, but they have completely different definitions for them, meanings for them. But uh, anyway, on God, I think the, the best way to summarize it is with a, uh, the prophet Lorenzo Snow, and I think he was sometime around 1900, 1910. He had a, a little quip that went, as man is, God was once. As God is, man may become. Hmm. And uh, so essentially, you, I, we, we could become gods. If we live our life right, we could become gods. Our God, the Father, he once was a man on some other planet, some other universe, and he was such a good guy did what he was supposed to do so well that his God made him a God and gave him his own universe, his own solar system, and so he's doing that. And there's a Mrs. God, in fact, there's many Mrs. Gods, and uh, they had children all in preexistence and up in heaven, and the oldest son is Jesus, hmm. that's why he's the son of God, but mm -hmm. we're all children of God. And uh, so, uh, in fact, Satan is the second born hmm. of, uh, of God and Mrs. God, one of the Mrs. Gods. And uh, so we've all been sent here to prove our worthiness, and uh, the ones that really do well will someday be granted uh, deity. They'll become a god and get their own universe and solar system to do with that as they please. So this is this is where the ethic of Mormonism comes from in this idea of of doing that which is right. It it is a religion of uh, if I can say it this way of ethical orderliness. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the mm -hmm. uh, one of the thirteen vows uh, that exist in Mormonism deal with the whole area of ethics and, and right. character and that kind of thing. Uh, but it's coming out of a, a completely different place. You're trying to become a certain kind of oh yeah of 
of uh, righteous figure, and the righteousness that you have is your righteousness. Right. There's no right. You you referred earlier about Mormonism and just its tie to American and the American culture. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. The harder you work, mm-hmm. the more you get. Mm-hmm. It, the better you are here on earth, the better heaven's going to be. I mm-hmm. mean, it, and and if you're good enough, you will become a bazillionaire god. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. So, uh, so there are lots of there are lots of differences. I started to say little differences, but they're not little differences. These are really oh, significant, major differences. Yeah, uh, in the way things are done. So, you, so one of the I imagine one of the uh, issues in having conversations with Mormons is to understand you may be hearing terms, but you're not hearing terms used the way you're used to hearing them. Right. Right. No. The. Uh, uh, it, it's interesting to me, when I was growing up, and probably until about 1980, 1985, their strategy was, we're right, everyone else is wrong. When Joseph Smith came out of the woods after his first vision, it's, everybody else has it wrong, I've got it right. Since 1980, 1985, basically their strategy has been to change and just become another Christian denomination, and as part of that change, they, they talk about salvation, they talk about faith, they talk about redemption, but they all have totally different uh, uh, meanings. They'll talk about blood atonement and mm-hmm. Christ dying for our sins, but uh, you know, when you really scratch under the surface, you find out that it's still a works-based salvation that uh, they're preaching. Now, uh, we'll talk about heaven for a second. Uh, there are – my understanding is there are three levels of yes. of, uh, of attainment, if I can say right. it that mm-hmm. way. Um, and uh, The celestial, the terrestrial, and the, and the celestial. celestial. Yeah. yeah, at least it rhymes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I think Joseph got that from uh, the old King James there in First. Well, that actually five, is another 15. point, and that is that it's, totally the, it's, it's the a King James-only Bible is the yes. Bible they, right. the Mormons refer to. So right. you've got that part of the conversation right. as well. Well, uh, and, and you were talking about the, the, the Articles of Faith. The eighth one says, we believe the Bible – as far as it's translated correctly. Right, right. And of course, by the word translated, what they really meant was transmitted, uh-huh. you know, because they think that, oh, with all the manuscripts and the lost manuscripts, uh-huh. uh, we don't have what Paul and Peter and Moses wrote. That's mm-hmm. why it's got so many mistakes and it disagrees so much with the Book of Mormon. Uh-huh. But where it does agree with the Book of Mormon, we're, it's good. But the, the accepted translation, is the King James. And that's interesting because this all, of course, gets formed before we get to, if I can talk in New Testament terms here for a second, the different kinds of manuscript traditions that have triggered our own difference between the King James and some of your modern translations that are based on basically two different uh, approaches to the to the text to the manuscript tradition that feeds into the New Testament. That's another podcast. Sure. <laughs> but sure. um, but that's uh, all. This happen, has happened before then because the I mean the King James was the only was the only book in town sure. when sure. when Mormonism came on the sure. scene. Um, so uh, so let's let, we've got about a minute left, a little more than a minute left before we hit the break. Um, uh, let's introduce at least the the heavenly levels. What's okay. going on there? Well, what's going on there is, as I mentioned earlier, we, we were all spirit children of God up in heaven, and we were sent here to show our worthiness. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
depending on what kind of life we live w- determines what heaven we will go to. I mean, the murderers, the 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 terrible people, uh, they will go to the lowest lowest heaven. I think it's the telestial, uh-huh. and uh, they'll maybe spend some time in in a place called hell, the lake of fire. But ultimately, because Jesus died for their sins, they'll end up in. The telestial kingdom. So this is a this is a there's a universal strand to Mormonism that ultimately most people, if not Everyone's all, going to get to a heaven. Yeah, just it's not just get to godhood. Okay, and and celestial's the highest. Celestial's the highest. And, yeah, and actually, it's kind of a bullseye. You know, you can get to the celestial kingdom, but not necessarily to the middle part where you're going to become a god. Uh-huh. We, because we're all good people, except you and I probably won't, and the people listening to this, because preachers are among the worst, uh-huh. we'll go to the celestial kingdom. But the the good folks that just are not Mormons, they'll go to the middle place. Uh-huh. And then the the Mormons will go to the celestial, but the really good Mormons will go to the middle of the celestial and God will let them become a god. And Well, just because uh, you're a Mormon and just because you jump through the, the various hoops doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that you're guaranteed to be a god. It, mm-hmm. it, it's like it's all uh, based on the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. And so someone that has really done the stuff, they will end up in that center section. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the rest who maybe were good but just not good enough they'll be some sort of servant to God they'll be some sort of administrator in God's kingdom or something but mm-hmm. they'll be in a great place far better than where we'll end up according to them <laughs> but uh, uh, they won't necessarily get to be a god but the goal is to become a god who then has many wives and can go populate his own universe. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Okay, now there are a couple other things that we need to talk through uh, doctrinally, um, uh, and that is, let's talk about the structure of the church for a second. With that, you've alluded to the prophet, right? And there's the twelve apostles. So yes. let's talk about that for a second. Okay, they have uh, they have a prophet. They've always had a prophet. Mm-hmm. The Joseph Smith was the first. Uh, Brigham Young was the second. And since then, I think they're now on to their eleventh prophet. They just they just have a new prophet. The mm-hmm. previous prophet, uh, Thomas Mon. Johnson died, I believe, sometime around the first of the year. Mm-hmm. And there's a new prophet named Russell Nelson. Mm-hmm. He's the 11th prophet, I think, that they have. And the prophet has two counselors. And uh, so he it's the prophet and two counselors. And then below them are 12 apostles. Mm-hmm. And so those 15 men are basically the power brokers of the church. And then below them, there are 70, mm-hmm. the council of 70. And so... Uh, 
the those 85 people are the power structure and then you know it's a pyramid below that the prophet is basically the voice of god mm-hmm. when he speaks uh you know for god uh-huh. he, what he says is true in fact there's statements you know from just even 30 years ago that if a current prophet says something that contradicts a previous prophet you're supposed to accept that current prophet as the current information. Yeah. So that's why, like the the whole thing about polygamy, the uh-huh. whole thing about uh, black people, they could accept those changes or should have accepted those changes because a current prophet is saying something that contradicted what Joseph or Brigham or any of the other prophets had said. So, so um, uh, this this prophetic structure, the prophet is like the. Uh, analogy like a like the president. Or he is. The, yeah. he, he's the president of uh, the the church. Uh-huh. The prophet, the president of the church. Now, the thing that's really fascinating about all of those eighty five men that I just referred to the prophet, uh-huh. his two counselors, the twelve, the uh-huh. seventy. None of them are theologians. Uh-huh. In fact, the current prophet, the new prophet, is a retired heart surgeon. Uh-huh. His first counselor, who will most likely become the next prophet. Uh-huh. I mean, the guy is 93, uh-huh. so he's not going to live that much longer. His first counselor is the retired chief justice of the Utah Supreme Court, oh, uh, wow. Dallin Oaks. Yeah. I mean, these men are not theologians. It's not like they've gone off studying You've theology. actually gone to where I was going next, which yeah. is that the, these are these are bi- bivocational people, right? I mean, Right. Basically, yeah. independent, yeah. independently wealthy people that, that probably no longer serve in their whatever their profession was, they just now lead the church. So what kind of training does someone get who ends up being in these roles? I mean, is there uh – Mormonism is a lay-led ministry, Mm -hmm. a lay-led church. Uh, In fact, that was one of the things when I was growing up, that my dad had gone to you know, school, that my older brothers were going to a seminary, what uh-huh. the world's a seminary, you yeah, know, in right. their the, uh, thinking. And we were paid. Uh-huh. I mean, your dad gets paid to do this? My right. dad, you know, I referred to my, my best friend Ned. Ned's dad was a postman. Uh-huh. All he, he pastored that church as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. It's all lay-led. Uh-huh. No one's a theologian. No one is encouraged even to really study. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, Mormonism is, is one of those religions that basically when it comes to your religion, you are just encouraged to, to not think. Hmm. You're encouraged to have faith. Mm-hmm. It's like – don't don't investigate Including that. In your leaders. Don't worry. Yeah, and even the leaders, you yeah. know, they they don't sit and analyze the text to see is this exactly what it means and how did how is what's this nuance and stuff like that. That's that's absent. Hmm. That that might occur in the history department at a place like Brigham Young or University of Utah, but uh, uh, no, the leadership of the church is just they're they're always encouraging people to engage in faith promoting. Uh, activities and faith-promoting thoughts hmm. because we just got to believe, you know, hmm. which is just part of their new strategy of even though it's a works-based theology, they're just telling it, hey, you just got to believe this stuff, so go work. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Now, the other, the other feature, probably the last feature that we need to talk about in terms of teaching and doctrine and the structure of the religion is um, there are temples. Yes. Um, yeah, I take temples around the country, and around I ta- the world. And now. I take it there are some things that happen in the temples, yes. but it's not like Christianity having a church on every block. Uh, it uh, there, well, there is a ch- in Salt Lake City. There is a church, a church on, on every, every block. block. Okay, yeah. but there aren't. Are there? 
but those aren't all temples, right? No, the, no, no. They they will have what are called uh, ward houses. Okay, and, there you uh, go. That uh, the that ward is uh, will service about a thousand people, and they're divided into uh, like three or four congregations. A congregation's maybe 200, 250 people, uh-huh. and they desi- divide it uh, geographically. So a I ward mean, is like a par- it's like it's like the model of a parish church. Yes, this church yeah. serves this area. Yeah. In fact, it was so fascinating. When I was growing up, the people on our side of the street were part of one ward, and the people on the other side of the street were part of another ward. And literally, the people on our side of the street hardly ever associated with the people on that side of the street. They weren't. They hardly knew each other. They didn't know what was going on in their lives huh. because these people went to this church over here, and those people went to that church over there. Or these people went at 9 o'clock, and these people went at 10 o'clock. And these people over here went at one o'clock. Now, do they call these churches, or are they called wards? They're called wards, okay, or chapels. The chapels, okay. and and every ward has a bishop, mm-hmm. a pastor. That's right. what my my friend Ned's dad was a bishop, and then there will be a stake president. He's like a guy that might be over twenty wards, maybe mm-hmm. over five buildings, ten buildings, and so he's maybe over you know a couple thousand, ten thousand people. But, and are, but again, he's all volunteer. Oh, now are these wards just gathering places, or they, what? They what? they do uh, they go to church, uh-huh. and they'll have uh, what they call sacrament meetings, uh-huh. uh, where they'll uh, they'll they'll gather and they'll take communion. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, uh, the sacrament meeting is a testimony meeting, and so they'll just stand around, and it's like popcorn. Uh, someone will stand up and say what's going on in his life and ask for prayer, and then someone else will do that and do that, do that, and then they'll take sacrament. Someone will, they might sing a few songs, and that's the sacrament meeting. Mm-hmm. They'll have the priesthood meeting, which mm-hmm. is kind of the men's meeting, uh-huh. teenagers and men, and uh-huh. they'll, uh, they'll teach you know, about their priesthood and, and all of that. I mean, the whole thing is uh, you know, very elaborate. You become an Aaronic priest when you're 12. Mm-hmm. And you become a Melchizedek priest when you're 18. Uh-huh. That's when you get to go to the temple, okay. and you go through the temple. Okay, ceremonies. that's where I'm headed next. Is the what happens at the temple that's yeah. different than what happens at the ward? Right. At the temple, you uh, you go, and the temple is primarily for two things. Mm-hmm. There's there's marriage for eternity, mm-hmm. and uh, baptism for the dead. Mm-hmm. Now there's some other things that go on, but those are the two primary things: marriage for eternity. When a man and woman get married. They're not just married till death do us part. They're married forever because we're going to go to heaven, and hopefully this guy's going to become a god, and I'm going to be get to be Mrs. God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're married for eternity. Uh, baptism for the dead is, you know, based off of First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty nine, mm-hmm. where Paul talks about, you know, else what are they going to do who are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at yeah, all? And there are about a hundred different ideas about what's yeah. going on there. Well, anyone exegetes yeah, that passage? Yeah, I actually did my master's thesis on that. Oh, then. really? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it is a mess. You were a but, busy guy. Yeah, but but. You know, so like when I was a kid, my friends, uh, they would go to the temple Mm -hmm. and they'd get baptized probably a hundred times for dead relatives, Hmm. you know, and that'd take place in about 15 minutes. I mean, Hmm. in real high tech, there's a screen there. Hmm. The guy would read off the name and you get baptized and you come back up, baptized, come back up. Hmm. And they were even taught, my friends were even taught that, you know, if you paid attention when you were under the water, that person might come back and thank you for baptizing them. You know, this is a person that's been dead 200 years. Wow. But wow, thank you, Ned, for 
finally getting me going on the way up. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's it's demonic. So, so as as I as we've seen, there are just a myriad of differences between oh, Christianity totally. and Mormonism. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, okay. Well, let's shift gears here and talk a little bit about uh, about now. What's the attraction in your view of of this faith? I mean, there's an there's an something that strikes me immediately is there's an orderliness to it Absolutely. and a structure to it, and it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The harder you work, the more you get. Yeah. So so that obviously is a draw. Is there anything else that you think? Well, is a draw. I mean, the biggest thing that that most people think about is family. Mm-hmm. I mean. Take Mitt Romney, for example. I mean, who doesn't want a family like him? Right. I mean, beautiful wife, five incredible-looking sons who all married well, lots of grandchildren, lots of money, uh, no scandal. You know, they all seem like they get together and enjoy one another. I mean, families forever. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing. And and it's like if your family's falling apart, your marriage is falling apart, come to the Mormons. I mean, they they – they probably, to the average person, seem like they have more going on in terms of how to put together a family than anyone else. It's not true, but uh-huh. that's that's one of their sticks. Now, I know I can say this about Judaism because my family is is Jewish, and so I've seen synagogues work, and there's a community element to mm-hmm. this. Uh, and an identity element in terms of being a little different mm-hmm. uh, that also can be a, a feature of attraction. Uh, my my remark is to some of my Christian friends, if you want to see community, come to some synagogues. They have terrific mm-hmm. community there. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect they're in these wards and with Mormons, it's a similar thing, but the family seems to be the most important unit. Right. In, the family, if the family's operating the way they think it should, they, they're, there is that. One of the things that I've noticed, though, in the last few years is now they are really uh, touting the fact that they provide peace and security and comfort. In fact, in the workshop that I'm going to do, I'm going to show a YouTube video of a guy whose wife and daughter were killed by a drunk driver. Mm -hmm. And he is talking about how he found the ability to forgive this teenage drunk driver for, you know, taking his wife's life. And he did it through faith and trust in his heavenly father mm-hmm. and in his son Jesus. And, uh, you know, I mean, you watch it, it's an incredible story. Mm-hmm. And it's what the Mormons are saying, this is what our religion provides. Yeah, since you mentioned the workshop, we're taping mm-hmm. this on a day in which uh, we're hosting a conference mm-hmm. Uh, on world religions, and Richard, this is why he has the name tag on his yep. shirt. No problem. Uh, is uh, is running the workshop on Mormonism for us? So so that's that 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 fills in a gap. People were probably curious about. So so um, so this we have community, we have family. Um, it there's an orderliness to what is going on. Those are the attractions of of the right, movement. right, and and. Uh... Yeah, those there, there's maybe a few others, but those are the ones that come to mind. Often. Okay, now let, let's shift gears one more time and ask this question, and that is, I meet a Mormon, and maybe I know. I mean, maybe maybe this podcast is tells me the most of I've ever known about Mormonism. Sure. So I'm I'm kind of working with a blank slate, and we always say in, in this, and we've said it in this series, no matter what 
religious movement we're talking about, that the first thing you want to do is get a GPS on someone and where they are spiritually. Right. Just mm-hmm. get to know them well enough to know what drives them spiritually, et cetera. And we've already suggested probably some things by what we've done. You know, there are different kinds of Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have no idea, and this is, I probably should have asked this earlier, in the spectrum of not just the three different kinds of Mormonism that are out there, I suspect, as in all religious movements, you have people who are tight adherents, if I can say it that way, mm-hmm. and people whose association is a little looser. More social. Yeah. yeah. Is that is that would that be fair yes. to say? Yes. Yeah. And, and so they may or may not be tightly connected to all the doctrinal things that we've talked about. In fact, I would say that even those that are tightly connected are not really all that astute about their doctrine. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mormonism does not encourage their adherents to to investigate their religion, to learn the ins and outs of uh, of their theology. And as I mentioned earlier, it's it's just investigate those faith promoting activities and beliefs. And so, you know, I think this is where you're going. But uh, that's why, in reality, if you engage a Mormon, you don't start talking about these wild and crazy things that Joseph Smith or Brigham Young taught because they they want to forget them. Uh-huh. You know, the internet in particular has helped them come out and recognize, boy, we got some weird beliefs, and they are working like crazy to mainstream themselves Mm -hmm. without changing their core doctrine Mm -hmm. of a works-based salvation and the chance to become a god. And so if you you went at someone that way, I think they'd just put up a wall, totally turn them off. I think the the best strategy in engaging uh, Mormons is what I actually heard from uh, a guy named Micah Wilder. Hmm. Micah Wilder was a missionary, hmm. Mormon missionary, down in uh, Florida. He was from Salt Lake, actually from Provo area. His mother t- actually taught at Brigham Young. Hmm. She was a tenured professor at Brigham Young. And he went on his mission to Florida, and he called on, I think, a Southern Baptist pastor. And the Southern Baptist pastor just challenged him to do – to read the Bible and think. Uh-huh. And so this kid, for nearly two years, read the Bible and thought. Hmm. And by the end of the time, he recognized that Mormonism was not accurate, came to saving faith in Christ, and now he's got an evangelistic ministry to Mormons and trying to so, win people so the, Mormonism. So the, the way not to go and engage with Mormons would be to have, be fully briefed on kind of all this doctrinal oh, stuff and, no. and and dump all. In fact, if you know the thing that I often hear in relationship to Mormons is people are, well, th- that's the religion that believes in polygamy. Oh yeah, and that that that's a that's a false path oh, to that, go. Isn't that it? Would, they would put up red flags and it's like you don't even know anything about us. Yeah, we, you, no, we don't do that and. Uh, they might acknowledge it's a part of their history, right? But oh yeah, they but will. that's it, right? They will. They'll they'll acknowledge that it's a part of their history. They'll acknowledge that uh, it was for another era. Um, but most people actually won't even know how it fits in. They'll just be like, "Well, I don't really think about that. I think about these, you know, things that are just going to help me in my relationship with God." I mean, you know, it's kind of like us uh, when we study the scriptures, and there's things we don't understand, things that seem to be apparent contradictions. It's like you dwell on those; those things are going to deteriorate your faith. Uh, uh, so that's their strategy. You know, you dwell on these weird things that were in our history. 
that's going to deteriorate your faith. Now, the second area that we've talked about where there's been a significant change is the whole attitude towards blacks. Let's talk a little bit about that, and I'm, I'm backing up here sure. and filling in with some content. Sure. Um, yeah. That's a great illustration, though, of of how Mormonism is basically this moving target. What the, the, the dynamic of the fact. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With the prophet who speaks and contradicts the previous guys, but take what the current guy says. Uh, in, in 78, uh, the prophet have a re- had a revelation that the the people with dark skins, black people, could now hold the priesthood. Up until then, Mormons uh, would not allow a black person into a temple, certainly would not allow them to have the Aaronic priesthood or the Melchizedek priesthood, become a missionary, the whole thing. So, uh, and, and interestingly, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young taught that the reason people's skin was black was because up in heaven, before we all came to earth, uh, those black people had been rebellious against God. You know, now me, because I was born in Salt Lake, about 15 miles from the temple, I must have been really good up in heaven because I got white skin and I'm born close to the original temple. You know, you weren't so good, Mm -hmm. but you still got the white skin. A person born in deep, dark Africa, you know, half a world away from the temple and with dark skin, he must have really been a scoundrel up in heaven. That was what Joseph Smith and Brigham Young taught. Now, they don't believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. They you know, they've kind of brushed that under the rug. Mm-hmm. But that's why they couldn't hold the, uh, the, uh, the priesthood. Well, in 78, I mean, the, the civil unrest and all the stuff that's going on, in fact, it's like the handwriting on the wall was, you know, if we're going to progress as a religion, we got to get rid of this doctrine. So lo and behold, at a strategic time, uh, the prophet has a revelation. In fact, you know, my mother always sarcastically said he had the revelation uh, within days of when the Howard Hughes will was proved to be a fraud. Uh-huh. One of the wills of Howard Hughes was going to give all his money to the Mormon church, uh-huh. and then it was proved to be a fraud. Uh-huh. Well, the day that uh, judgment came down was was within days of when the prophet uh, changed the news cycle and said, "Oh, now we're going to allow the black man to have the priesthood." Mm-hmm. So, so now you know it's it's like that whole part of their theology is gone, irrelevant, and uh, uh, things have changed. And they've done that with dozens of areas. Interesting. So let, let's we've got three minutes left. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about how would you what advice would you give to someone who's met a Mormon and begins interacting with them, develops a, a friendship with them, et cetera? I would say love them and just engage them in the warmest, dearest friendship you could have. Uh, recognize that this is a person that is is incredibly sincere and devout, and really wants a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they are caught in a web of. Uh, of uh, of heresy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, they're in a cult. It really is a cult, and uh, uh, I would say, basically, encourage that person as you have opportunity to just investigate the Word of God mm-hmm. and to really think about what they believe. And you know, I I'd leave the the scandalous stuff. I just keep that on the bookshelf. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, maybe someday they might ask, but, but all of that stuff's coming out, and so even the Mormons know that they have scandal in there, and so they're doing all kinds of things to counteract that. But uh, 
I would I would say do like that pastor did for that missionary. Just yeah, that's right. Love him and point him to the Lord towards the Word of God. Uh, when I was a kid growing up in high school, I mean, one of the things that that I did hear was because I lived as good a life as they did. They mm-hmm. couldn't understand it. That, how in the world can Hornock believe that salvation is by faith alone and Christ mm-hmm. alone? He, I mean, he doesn't have to do anything, and he's getting to heaven. Yeah, yeah. You know, how, how weird is that? And yet I, not because I was intentionally doing but I lived as good a quality of life as they did. You know, I didn't drink, we didn't do drugs, you know, the morality, all that stuff. And that impressed them. It's like, why is this guy living as good a life as us, or even better, but he's not doing it for the reward. He's doing it out of a relationship. Interesting. With so the whole the whole theme of grace is an, is is Absolutely. a missing piece. Yeah. That is um, is the contrast in many ways. Absolutely. Along with the, perhaps the doctrine of God that that is a place to to get people to think about. You know, mm-hmm. God has provided this, and then and then the response of the life is the issue, not a reward of life. Right. Right, yeah. right. Well, Richard, I really appreciate you taking the time with oh, us I've to come in and, and, and help us get our hands around uh, what Mormonism is, and uh, this has been a good introduction. I've learned some things, which is – and it this is one That's of the more <laughs> fascinating uh, fascinating religions that I think we've covered, and it's and there are so many people in the United States who, who hold to this. Oh, uh, yeah. And 14 million. 14 million. So thank you for being a part mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. And we thank you for being a part of The Table and hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.